Welcome to the Captain Paul Watson Foundation podcast. I am your host, Charlie. This podcast will focus on what we can do to save our oceans. Our podcast is special because we will regularly get to hear from Captain Watson as he battles poachers from all over the world exploiting marine life. If you know Captain Watson and his work, welcome. This podcast will be inspirational. Someone is doing something. Captain Watson has been fighting this fight since he founded Greenpeace back in 1972, and he is not slowing down. For those new to this fight to protect and conserve our oceans, welcome. I hope this podcast is a source of inspiration for you as well. The oceans are dying. Captain Watson has selflessly made it his goal to protect his clients, the whales, the fish, the sharks, and all the creatures in the sea. This podcast is a way for Paul and his foundation to communicate with activists, young and old, that want to do something before it is too late. I'd like to welcome Captain Watson to our very first episode. Paul, how are you? Very well, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. I'm, I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. So, Paul, I know there's been a lot going on, um, certainly over social media and other places, but I think a lot of folks would like to know uh, what made you start the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. In 2019, I was uh, marginalized from the board of directors of the Sea Shepherd Society in the U.S. Uh, the reasoning being is that they said that my history, my reputation, was an obstacle for getting director's insurance. But they assured me that I would continue to be part of the decision-making process and would could also participate in the board meetings. Well, I agreed to that. Uh, it sounded reasonable. Uh, but since then, uh, I was not included in the decision-making. Board members were dismissed. New board me members were added. Board members who had nothing to do with Sea Shepherd, in fact, weren't even involved with ocean conservation. And then in June of uh, this year, uh, at, they called me to a board meeting and said, well, we decided to change the direction for Sea Shepherd and we're no longer going to be involved in confrontations or, you know, controversial campaigns like we've done for 45 years. Instead, we decided that we're going to, um, you know, work with scientists to bring them into areas to do research. And I said, what, like an Uber service for scientists? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I'm sorry, I can't participate nor support this. And uh, their board's response to that was, you get paid by Sea Shepherd, you do what you're told. And I said, no, I resign. So I resigned and uh, made my resignation public, which they didn't like. Uh, basically, what they wanted me to do was to, to be a paid figurehead for the, an organization that they wanted to send into a different direction. But I was still a board member for Sea Shepherd Global, so that was fine. But Sea Shepherd USA had been covertly putting trademark uh, agreements around the world, filing for trademarks uh, everywhere. Mm. And uh, without, you know, I did, had no idea they were doing this. And uh, then they went to Global and said, look, we control the trademark, we control the logo. And, uh, you know, you either work with us and do what we do or else uh, we'll pull it. And unfortunately, uh, the global directors uh, got quite uh, afraid about that. They called, uh, they called a meeting, and then they voted to dismiss me without any discussion and not without giving either Lamia and I the opportunity to vote. And they did so, I think, because they're afraid of these lawsuits that were being threatened by Pritam Singh, who's the, uh, you know, the president of the of the U.S. board. Right. And uh, 
So I decided, well, you know, we have to continue to do the work we're, we've been doing and uh, the same way. It's been very effective. So I established the Captain Paul Watson Foundation. And the reason I called it that is it's pretty hard for anybody to infiltrate and take over an organization that actually includes my name. Absolutely. Because because they told me that uh, I'm not allowed to use the logo that I designed or the name that I uh, created. And in fact, I was even told that I could not wear Sea Shepherd shirts or pose with in pictures, you know, with Sea Shepherd flags. Uh, in fact, they had uh, Facebook shut me down for a month because I my banner picture was wearing a Sea Shepherd shirt in front of a Sea Shepherd flag. And they said that was a trademark violations. And Facebook didn't even give me the opportunity to defend that. So we're going to go ahead with the work that we've been doing. Uh, we're going to continue to be confrontational. We're continuing to be uh, controversial. And uh, many of the Sea Shepherd groups around the world are very supportive of, uh, of me continuing with that, uh, with that kind of uh, focus. Wow. I, you know, Paul, I, I had no idea that they went so far as to say you can't wear a Sea Shepherd you know, shirt or, or, you know, it's just, you know, so many supporters and, and I've read some comments, you are Sea Shepherd. You know, I mean, when, when people think of Sea Shepherd, they think of Captain Paul Watson. So, you know, look, I, I, I guess these other folks have, have other ideas, um, and have strayed from your original intent and your original purpose, which was, you know, to protect marine life. Uh, are, are there, Sea Shepherd chapters that that are still working with you and are still you know happy to you know have that uh, back and forth. Yes, uh, I'm getting support from Sea Shepherd France, uh, Sea Shepherd United Kingdom, Sea Shepherd Brazil, Sea Shepherd New Zealand, Sea Shepherd Tahiti, and the others are actually having quite a lively debate about that. Mm. Um, so the question I'm asking them is. Do you continue to will you continue to support our traditional direction, which what we've done so effectively for 45 years, or do you want to uh, diminish our effectiveness by not doing those things? Uh, so there, there's a bit of a debate there. Sea Shepherd has actually backed away campaigns like uh, you know the Faroe Islands, which Sea Shepherd UK is involved with, but not supported by Global or the US, uh, the campaigns to stop dolphin killing in Taiji, and also the high seas campaigns. So with all that in mind, I think it's important for folks that are, are listening to this, you know, do your research. You know, if you're if you're going to support an organization, please do your research and, and know that things are changing rapidly and, and make sure that you know uh, if you are donating what that is going towards and, and what you're, you know, what you're supporting. Because certainly, like, like we said, the direction of certain Sea Shepherds is, is going a little bit differently. Um, so Paul, let, let's then focus on the foundation. Are there any specific things or, or missions, campaigns that you have in mind, or is that or is it too early to, to pin anything down yet? It's too early to be really specific, but I can tell you that we will be focusing on things like uh, the killing of pilot whales and dolphins in the uh, Faroe Islands, the killing of whales in uh, Iceland, the killing of dolphins in Japan, uh, illegal uh, industrialized fishing operations, uh, on the high seas uh, around the world. We'll also be, we're very concerned about uh, what's happening in Antarctica with the exploitation of marine uh, wildlife and ecosystems in Antarctica. Un unfortunately, there's a lot of things that uh, 
that we can address and um, and hopefully we can do as much as we possibly can and the stronger we become the more we can uh, focus on you know more and more things so uh, it looks promising uh, but you know I really I have to get across the idea to the general public about just how serious this situation is mm-hmm. you know since 1950 the year I was born actually there's been a 40 percent diminishment in phytoplankton populations around the world and phytoplankton provides up to 70 percent of the oxygen in the air we breathe and sequesters enormous amounts of uh, carbon dioxide and why this is happening is because phytoplankton uh, has to have nutrients uh, primarily iron nitrogen and magnesium and those nutrients are provided from uh, the fecal materials primarily of marine wildlife especially whales when you consider that one blue whale defecates three tons every day uh, they're they're really the farmers of the ocean their crop is phytoplankton and phytoplankton is the foundation of life uh, on our planet if phytoplankton disappears and like I said 40% has been diminished already and that can be uh, uh, validated by uh, Scientific America in uh, 2010 had a very large article on that that uh, if phytoplankton disappears from our ocean we all not only do we die everything dies because uh, we're dependent upon oxygen and the production of oxygen is a major, major um, contribution of the phytoplankton. Uh, I like to explain it to people this way. If you consider that the earth of this planet that we live on is actually a spaceship and it's on this incredible voyage around the Milky Way galaxy and every spaceship has a life support system that provides us with the air we breathe and the food we eat and regulates climate and temperature. And that life support system is run and maintained by a crew of uh, engineers, not not human beings. We're the we're the passengers. We're uh, having a great time amusing ourselves, but what we are doing is we're killing off the engineers. You know, all those uh, creatures from phytoplankton, zooplankton, worms and insects to viruses to uh, bacterium to trees and fishes and all the way up. All of these creatures are engineers and they're maintaining that that life support system and uh if that life support system breaks down then we have ecological collapse and uh, that means so this is really about our own survival uh because we can't live in a world where the life support systems has have been broken down and i you know that calls to mind uh you know one of your favorite comments uh, about you know worms being more important than humans <laughs> I, i've always i've always enjoyed that comment because it it rings so true well that comes from uh a fox news reporter Brett Hume actually he uh, interviewed me and he said i heard that you were given a talk and you said that worms trees and bees were more important than people and I said, yeah, I did say that. And he said, well, how could you say something so outrageous that worms and trees and bees are more important than people? And I said, well, be- because they are. They are more important than we are because they can live here without us, but we cannot live here without them. Ecologically, they're far more important than we are. We have to learn to live in harmony with these species that make it possible for us to even live on this planet. And so we, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as the dominant, most superior species on the planet and realize that we have to live uh, peacefully with all other species because what happens is you have ecosystems out of balance and what that causes is uh, disruptions including the outbreak of uh, zoonomic transmitted viruses that we're seeing right now and of course a breakdown in, you know in 
climate change regulations and how, you know, when, when that happens, it breaks down, causes so many problems, acidification in the ocean, um, storms, uh, droughts and floods. And so many things are being caused by this because we are killing off the engineers on this planet. Paul, do you do you have hope that one day, because I, I remember another comment that you made about the intelligence of a species being able to live in harmony do you have hope that one day we will be able to find that that equilibrium of of being able to to live in harmony? Well, I hope so. I had a conversation some years ago with a Norwegian whaler, and he said, "You know, Watson, you say that whales are more intelligent than people. It's a very stupid thing to say." And I said, "Well, George, you know, I measure intelligence by the ability to live in harmony with our environment, and by that criteria, whales are far more intelligent than we are." And he said, well, by that criteria, cockroaches are more intelligent than we are. And I said, George, you're beginning to understand what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> oh, wow. No, that's that's wonderful. I mean, and then the other thing, that, the aspect that, that strikes me, too, is that we know so little about, you mentioned whales and, and sperm whales. And I mean, these are incredibly intelligent creatures and, and we we don't really know uh, their communication skills, the, the way they live together. There's so much that they could teach us if we would just be willing to sit quietly and listen, I think. Um, so, so, Paul, knowing then that, that we need to move forward, are there things that, that the supporters out there could do today? Are, are there actions they could take that might help uh, move us in this direction of living in harmony uh, with the environment around us. Yes, we have to learn to live uh, in harmony. I take a biocentric point of view to understand that uh, we're part of everything. We're not dominant over everything. We don't control everything. We just think we do. Uh, that uh, if we don't learn to do that, then we're simply not going to sur sur survive. The there are three basic laws of ecology. The first is the law of diversity, that the strength of an ecosystem is dependent upon diversity within it. The more diversity, the stronger the, and more resilient the ecosystem. The second is the law of interdependence, that all species are interdependent with each other. And the third is the law of finite resources, that there's limit to growth because there's limit to uh, to resources. And when one species steals the uh, carrying capacity of other species, that causes diminishment in both diversity and interdependence, and that leads to ecological collapse. Uh, any species throughout the, the, the history of the planet that is not lived in accordance with those three basic laws of ecology has gone extinct, has not survived. And uh, so we, if we want to uh, survive as a species, then we must live in harmony with those other species and abide by the basic laws of ecology. Absolutely. So Paul, let me let me take a step back then because one of the one of the goals I had for for this episode was to, you know, let folks learn more about you. Uh, folks that maybe are are new to your movement, new to the cause, Paul. How did you get started in in the conservation of nature? When I was ten years old, I lived in eastern Canada. I spent a summer swimming with a family of beavers. I had a wonderful time, but the next year when I went back, I couldn't find them. I asked questions, found out trappers had taken them all over during the winter. And that made me quite angry. So the, that winter, the next winter, I began to walk the trap lines and um, free the animals from the traps and destroy the traps. So I guess I've been doing the same thing ever since. Wow. 
Are, are there any other significant moments that sort of spurred you on or, or you know, gave you this, this vigorous uh, motivation to, to help? In 1975, I was first made on the uh, first voyage by Greenpeace to protect whales from the, and we uh, encountered the Soviet whaling fleet off the coast of California. And uh, we had come up with this idea to, uh, you know, to save them. Uh, we were re- reading a lot of Gandhi at the time. And all we, we, we thought all we have to do is put ourselves between the whales and the harpoons and they, they wouldn't kill the whales. And so Bob Hunter and I found ourselves in a small boat in front of a Soviet harpoon vessel bearing down on us. And uh, there were eight magnificent sperm whales fleeing for their life. And every time the harpooner tried to take a shot, I would block it. And this worked for about 20 minutes until the captain came running down the, the catwalk and screamed into the ear of the harpooner and then turned, looked down at us, brought his finger across his throat and smiled. And that's when I realized Gandhi wasn't going to work for us that day. And uh, a few moments later, there was a terrific explosion, and the harpoon went over our heads, slammed into the backside of a female in the pot of eight sperm whales. She screamed, rolled on her side, a fountain of blood, and suddenly the largest whale in that pod, this big bull, slammed his tail onto the surface of the ocean and dove, swam right underneath of us and came and threw himself, hurled himself straight at the bow of that Soviet harpoon boat. Knowing, And they knew that he would do that. They had an unattached harpoon ready. And as the whale's head rose up out of the water at a point-blank range, they pulled the trigger. And he fell back into the water. There's blood everywhere, thrashing about in agony. And uh, I caught his eye. And uh, then he disappeared beneath the surface. And I saw a trail of bloody bubbles coming at us real fast. And he came up and out of the water at an angle so that his next move would fall right on top of us. And... uh, I looked into his eye, an eye the size of my fist, and so close I could see the reflection of myself in that eye. And I saw understanding. The whale suddenly pulled himself back and began to slide back into the sea rather than to fall on top of us. I saw his eye disappear beneath the surface, and he died. Could have killed us, and he chose not to do so. But I also saw pity, not for himself, but for us, that we could kill so senselessly why were we killing these whales they didn't eat them they uh, were killed because sperm whale and spermaceti oil is very high heat resistant oil and it's used in industrial machinery and one of the one of the most valued purposes was for lubricating uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles and I said here we are killing this incredibly beautiful intelligent socially complex creature uh, for the purpose of making a weapon meant for the mass extermination of human beings. And that's when it occurred to me, just like that, uh, we're insane. We're ecologically insane. And I said from that moment on, I, I do what I do for them. I'm not doing it for us, although it will benefit us. But I I do it for them, for, for, the, for the creatures that live in the sea. Those are our clients. Those are the, you know, the, the species that we've been representing for the last 45 years. Absolutely. So, Paul, you know, I... You've given so much of your life to this to this cause, and I'm hoping that our listeners can uh, appreciate everything that it's it's taken for you to to shut down the the Japanese whaling fleet in the Southern Ocean and to stop whaling in in Iceland and other places. If if what Paul's saying is inspiring you right now, I, I would encourage you to to go online. Uh, Paul's new foundation, the website is paulwatsonfoundation.org. 
if you go there, uh, you can learn how to get involved and, and obviously help the cause. And as we start to get more campaigns and, and more things happening, we certainly will keep you updated with more news. Um, and, and Paul can certainly come on and, and fill us in on, on all the things that we need to do, the things that are urgent, the things that have to happen right now. Paul, I guess, um, you know, before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say to, to the supporters out there that have, you know, like I said, have seen some of, some of the turmoil going on and are, you know, really rooting for you? I could just only say that, you know, wherever you live uh, on this planet, you are connected to the ocean because the ocean is water in continuous circulation. And sometimes it's in the sea and sometimes in ice, sometimes underground, sometimes it's in the clouds and sometimes it's in the cells of every living plant and animal. So that the water in our bodies right now is re- recently in all of those different mediums, in the clouds, uh, in the in the cells of a, of a, of a grizzly bear, for example. Uh, it, it's water flowing through all those mediums. That is the ocean. So we are the ocean and therefore uh, it impacts us Every day, uh, we don't live on this planet without water, and we don't live on this planet with those engineers that maintain that system. And so really, this is a, a an issue of humanity needs to save humanity. I, I'm not really concerned about the planet as a whole, because the planet has survived numerous extinction events, and uh, no matter what we do, uh, you know, it will recover, but it will take a lot of species with us, and that's also a, a great tragedy. But I'm forever optimistic that we can change this around, and I think we can change it around by adopting this attitude that we're part of everything and not uh, controlling everything, that we're not dominant over everything. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I I really appreciate your time today. And uh, with that, I will uh, bid you farewell and and wish you good luck and, and look forward to hearing from you next time. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Paul. If the oceans die, we die.